Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, we've got some podcast royalty, dare I say, on this episode. Absolute royalty. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of Forming Church. Well, yeah, we were talking to the listener. Yeah. Yeah, you are podcast royalty. Yeah, we've got you with us. <laughs> Welcome, podcast royalty. But there is also a guest on this episode who's been podcasting for years and years. And that podcasting flows out of um, a, a career of being an author and a speaker and a leadership coach and someone with a brilliant voice that I know we've both benefited from in the past and in this conversation. Yes, Joe Saxton is an incredible world-renowned voice. She has been part of the, um, she spoke recently at the Global Leadership Summit, which is like the largest leadership conference in the world, hundreds of thousands of people across the world. Um, and she's just a great voice. She was, she was born to Nigerian parents in the UK, now lives in the US. Minneapolis. And so she is a truly um, an international voice and I think a, a great voice to speak into racial reconciliation a great voice to speak into um, raising women, but just raising leaders and, yeah. and raising people. Um, and so she's, she's well-formed around, around church, around leadership development, and uh, we get into all those things in this conversation. It is a real treat. It is. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. Enjoy this treat. This episode is brought to you by Morling College. As well as their great theological study options, Morling run free courses, open nights, and public events on topics like transforming vocation, faith in action, bioethics, and more. And if you're a church planter, they even run a church planting course called Scent. They have a range of scholarships, campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options. You can find out more at morling.edu.au. Well, shall we have a chat about the Yay. future? The future, a place <laughs> of hope God, and despair. Yeah. <laughs> <Can> we? <laughs> awesome. Well, Joe Saxton, thank you so much for joining us on Forming Church podcast. We are so delighted to be able to hear from you and have a conversation with you. Why don't you just paint a picture for us of what life as Joe looks like at this moment in time? Okay, this moment in time, well, all moments in time, I'm a Brit living in um, in the US. I live in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. So I um, I have two kids, I have a husband, and we're all in the same house <laughs> because that is our life. So right now, it's a, it's a fun, weird, great, odd combo all at once, you know, in terms of I when we've got this house, I used to think it was too big, and now I'm like, thank you, God, because <laughs> his school is here, I, my work is here, my husband's work is here. Um, so there's that, that in our current everyday, although I think the kids go back to blended learning, which is kind of like part-time at school in a couple of weeks time. Um, what with the COVID, um, I am a author, a podcast host, leadership coach is what I do a lot of. Um, 
and speak. I still speak, but everything is virtual. My, I have a virtual life, a virtual existence, like much of, well, I was going to say the world, but really America and Europe <laughs> and stuff. So, yeah, that's very, what I do. Very good. Very good. Um, the last 12 months, uh, if, if people are unaware, has had some uh, pretty significant events, right? <laughs> um, what are you learning in amidst COVID, uh, you know, the huge racial tension, political tension in, in the States? What, what are you learning in terms of the church, leadership, life in general, following Jesus? What are you seeing from, from the last 12 months? Oh, that's such a big question. Um, I think I would say grief is not to be messed with. There's a lot of it. Um, there's a lot of grief and that and grief is not just for grown-ups. Do you know what I mean? In terms of the kids who grieve, the teenagers who grieve, the loss of people, you know, the loss of loved ones, um, the loss of a, the loss of jobs and careers and, and um, things that were going to change, but have accelerated, you know, um, we, I don't know about where you guys are, but here we, I hear COVID being described as an accelerant. Um, and so it's accelerated certain things, which maybe would have happened in the, in over the next 10 happened in 10 months instead of 10 years. Um, Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I, grief is grief. I say grief because it comes in waves. And I think people have, there was, I don't know about you, but in our set context at the beginning, there was when we get back to normal, mm. you know I mean? There was the assumption and, and it was pushing out the date a little bit further. Like when we get back to this and then we get back to this and, and then the, the, the weight of people realizing, oh, like you hit the milestone and the humanly made milestone of the autumn and the autumn things haven't changed and you're like, oh, or, you know, um, in America, then Thanksgiving or Christmas and, and it and it heading towards winter. And it's like, oh, it still hasn't changed or coming to a new year and thinking, oh, it's still, do you know what I mean? I think it, that that has that has a wearing impact. Mm. Um, so I think I'm more aware of that. I think I've seen, I mean, in terms of the racial reckoning, it's interesting. Well, it's not interesting who's shocked and who's not. So for the black, indigenous, people of color, it's not shocking. It's not a shock at all because the, nothing is being said that hasn't been said for a long time. So in some ways it's interesting watching people shock and thinking, what did you think we were living in, friends? <laughs> um, in, that, in that reality. Mm. And, but also watching people tire of it's like okay can we can, can it be happy now and thinking and thinking well no not really mm. no uh, do, do you know what I mean if, if if we if we are to really reckon with this then we're gonna have to be here for a while um on that um I think in church I think there's just everything from innovation through distress I mean all the things have been magnified in church as well mm. same with the political landscape it's it's kind of wild I mean I mean I I it's I think I've learned a lot about the need for depth spiritually, <laughs> um, mm. de depth in terms of your spiritual capacity or mental capacity, um, the need for a therapist number, uh, because I think this is, it hasn't finished unfolding and the ram and particularly the ramifications on business, on your communities, on our ways of being and our ways of gathering and all of that. Ha there's a new imprint being formed. Mm. So it sounds like there's, um, there's a realization for you and I'm sure for many that what may have looked like a sprint is a marathon. Yeah. Have you have you found any ways of coping with that? We have to we have to keep running this marathon. We have to keep talking about these things. We can't just snap back to yeah. something. But how do you actually stay in that that space of um, the wearing down that you spoke about? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. My brother lives in Hong Kong and as such, he, he, one, he told me about COVID. I remember texting him and saying, Hey, do I need to be worried about you? I remember that we were talking about the other day, just a year into the conversations. And he, and he took a picture of the shelves, which were empty and all these kinds of things. And, um, and I remember his words, but, and my brother's not melodramatic. This, well, one of my brothers is, this one isn't. Uh, and, and he said, he said, Joe, the thing you need to remember, the thing you need to know is it's not just going to be here. It'll be you. It'll be you too. And, um, and so it, I, I, and it, it was probably before the first case actually that he said that to me. So it gave me a bit of lead in time. It, um, it gave me a little lead in time to think, okay, what could this, what could this mean? The other thing was, and I'm not trying to be super spiritual about this or anything. I remember praying at the start of the year and, and this thought popped into my mind of what would you do if you couldn't travel for a couple of years? And I remember thinking that was just a really creative thought. <laughs> now I'm like, um, was that an indication? <laughs> was that a clue? Was that a, was that a point? But, and I wish I'd given more time to it, but, I, but I'm, in terms of how to cope with it, I think I've had, the first thing I re- remember when we were first locked down was I needed to be keenly aware and keenly honest about my vices. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do I do under pressure? What do I do when I feel weak, when I feel out of control? And when I'm powerless, I remember the first thing I looked at was how much am I drinking? When in my teens, crisis would lead me to alcohol. Do you know what I mean? That was that was my coping mechanism. And when I felt an earthquake in my teens, that was how I coped. So I had to be really aware and say, just because you're grown does not mean those vices aren't going to be like, hi, here mm. we are. So I think being aware of the vices was the first one. Two, um, needing to have places to process pain, honestly and with integrity um, was, uh, was another thing. I think, and again, I think because once it began, to, my, my reality was very stark when it hit in terms of, I had just released a book, I was just about to do a tour and everything was gone, everything. I, like, I mean, I can't, <laughs> I gotta describe how, how ridiculous it was. My, my calendar was suddenly clean. And that's like income, that's like your job is, my job was like wrapped up and I couldn't, tell so I had to prepare for the worst straight away and I had to prepare for there being no quick and easy answers and it was a gift in a very painful way it was a painful gift to have to think long term straight away Mm. so thinking so uh, the first thing me and my husband sat down and we thought about our money and said okay what do we need to cull what do we need to I mean just real practical things because again when the pressure points come I, I I want to be nimble enough robust enough to not panic like there's so much I can't control, still can't control, but the things we did have some agency in, we began to attend to straight away. And mm. I think that helped me for the, the marathon. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I hear you talk about grief and, you know, the vices that we run to. I think one of the things I, I re- reflecting back on the last 12 months, I needed to learn how to lament. Like I wasn't good at that. I'm wondering if if you're seeing, you know, with the leaders that you're coaching, churches you're involved in, are you seeing a um, uh, an upskilling <laughs> in lamenting and people? Do you think the church is learning how to do that? I think the church in the West hasn't particularly been very good at that or creating space for that. Are you seeing, you know, any any changes in momentum in that area? You know, I, I think here in the US, we I saw it more after the death of George Floyd in from um I think that was the moment when it's like you need to make space for lament 
You need, and because for your, because your black brothers and sisters are lamenting. And if you can't hear what that pain is, if you can't hear what they're sick and tired of being sick and tired of, you, you, you have, no one cares about what else you've got to say. I mean, you can't, it's not enough to be kind of like, yeah, God's going to make it right. That's not the question right now. Can you sit in sackcloth and ashes for yet another body, for yet another family, yet another story who looks like our family members who was doing that? Do you mean that kind of thing? And um, so I think that's probably where some of the, um, some of the first conversations I found myself having with people were, um, um, was about lament and reminding people that there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentation that would be useful for everybody just to read <laughs> and um, and to make space for and to hold space for. And I, then I think when we put when we hit particular milestones in terms of the losses, you know, I had I had friends who'd lost 15 people to COVID, seven people. I mean, huge numbers. And again, some of the realities here is that there is a disproportionate amount of people who who are who are dying of COVID, who are people of color. And so there are, so one, one devastation taps into another devastation. Mm. Um, it became a far more real issue to talk about lament when we hit like a hundred thousand deaths, because it's like, how do you get your head around that number? 200,000 deaths. How do you get your head? 300, do you know what I mean? It's just like more, more, more. How do you, it leaves you gasping. And it doesn't matter then whether you think it's a big deal or not, because it's already a big deal. And people are having to do funerals in parking lots, in car parks. It's like, you know, or your healthcare workers are traumatized by what they're seeing day in, day out. Um, and so I think there has been an increase. I think there are some who still who found it hard to lament because they found they felt that the lament was almost an expression of a lack of faith mm. in some way. So it was really important to give people the th- to offer people, let's say, look, have you read the Psalms? Have you read Lamentation? Have you read this here? That this, not only do you have permission, this is integral to your faith. This is an integral part of your spiritual journey is lament. And it may be that this is your first time lamenting because your Christianity has been particularly comfortable or has, or had unspoken values. Not necessarily, I don't know that anybody preached from a pulpit saying, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, your life's going to be easy and it's going to get better and, and all of that kind of stuff. And yet, and yet was um, hadn't ever really quantified, unless they've been through personal crisis, hadn't really quantified what that could mean at a communal level, like a communal. So yeah. it's definitely been an ongoing conversation and a, a reality to keep on almost hosting and and host host holding space for lament. I was talking to one of my um my I've got two teenage girls and I was talking to my eldest and she was just really frustrated. And I said, I think you need to write a lament because she was like wrestling out of faith and she just listed all the losses of the year, both personally, school wise, and then at large. And she just listed the names. Do you know what I mean? She just listed the names and of the things. And I just thought, actually, this is so important to hold that. And rather than be afraid of the pain and afraid of the anger and afraid of the sorrow, to, like grief has an ebb and a flow if we let it. Mm. And, I, and I think what I'm observing is seeing leaders um, allow it for themselves. And so in allowing it for themselves and having a clearer idea of how to facilitate that in community and having to hold space for even if you're not in lament, how other people are and need it and what it means to to stand rather than to feel the the kind thing is to help them wrap it up <laughs> and yeah. you know what I mean actually the kind thing is to stand and weep with those who are weeping mm. yeah that's really good 
one of the things that I'm hearing in, in what you're sharing is that uh, certain sort of things that were invisible to some have become very visible, right? Obviously, the racial inequality and, and injustice has become visible that was already there. Um, one of the areas where I think maybe there's, a, there's at the moment, um, some, some people might go, okay, in terms of the church, the future of the church and uh, the role of men and women in leadership, there would be some people probably mainly yeah. men, who would go, well, haven't we uh, moved forward a whole lot and haven't women got what they want now and, you know, they're women preaching and women in pastoral roles, blah, blah, blah. But there's obviously still loads of that invisible inequity and inequality and still visible. Um, but I'm just wondering if you could kind of open our eyes a little bit to some of the maybe invisible but very real inequalities and injustices that the church has to grapple with in terms of the role of women in the church. I mean, I think there are multiple things and you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, it's huge. And again, in our context here, a lot of, um, it's been interesting that what COVID has again accelerated in terms of people being at home and, you know, and, um, and I've, I've seen like my magazines like Forbes and everything describe it as the pink collared re um, recession or the she session because it disproportionately impacting women's jobs and, and that, but, and then other articles, I think there, were, there was one, the New York Times just at the weekend called the primal scream and about how mothers are managing work and kids and all these sorts of things. So there are these cultural lenses that the church aren't exempt from. They're, mm. they're not exempt from. Um, but in terms of the story of men and women and, and in terms of calling and in the, on, I mean, it's not long ago that the Me Too movement was particularly um, audible. Mm. And, and I, so I think one of the things is I would ask people say, remember when, people said me too, or even church too. What, what policies and practices changed as a result of that? I, it's just a great, it, I think it's yeah. just a good question to ask. Not as an accus accusation, but an accountability for the anger that we all, men and women, collectively felt about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we felt it, you know, women felt it for ourselves, but our friends, men felt it for their, for, for their, for their church families, for their sisters, their mothers, their daughters, their nieces, their aunts. Um, so now what? <laughs> you know what I mean, I think there's a genuine question to ask about that. I think some of the ongoing challenges are the actual leadership pipelines um, that actually attend to, and, and it shifts in this current, in this in this cultural moment, in depending on where you are in the world and what how your particular nation is dealing with various things. But what are the pipelines that ensure that the that women who are made in the image of God um, and therefore given gifts and abilities and all that kind of stuff are uh, have access to an environments where they can grow in their giftings because their lives don't look the same as yours. And that's okay. That's, you know, I mean, that's okay. And on one level, people, I like when people say, you know, surely we've had these conversations, but it, it's, there are conversations that you have to have with every generation. You just do whether you'd like to or not. It's just hashtag facts. You have to have that conversation again and again and again. Um, and just to be sure, because it's the kind of, if you, it's ground that's easy to lose. Um, and so I would ask what, um, I, I would, I would ask, have you asked the people in your context, the women in your context, whether they feel free to live out their calling or are there cultural expectations, are there pipelines or the lack thereof um, that hold you back? So often when I'm talking to male leaders about this, I know that they say, well, you know, obviously they don't, because they wanted to be appropriate and maybe that was accentuated after the Me Too stuff that uh, um, came to the surface in popular culture. We know Tarana Burke started way before that, but that some 
some leaders are like, well, I really want to be careful now. I, I want to make sure I'm not saying anything inappropriate. I'm not doing anything. I don't want to abuse power. And, and absolutely. So then we have to think of innovative ways rather than just leave a vacuum. Do you know what I mean? What are the, if, it, and I, I'm aware that there is a whole theological continuum. There's a whole theological continuum and all of that kind of stuff. But wherever you are in that theological continuum, what are you doing to ensure that women are, are empowered for the things that they're called to do? And, right. and is your plan working? Is your plan working? Yeah, they're, they're um, good, very, very convicting and good questions uh, to ask, particularly those of us who are males in leadership, who have authority over organisations and churches. Um, like all things, there seems to be always a, um, when, when something happens, like you said, the Me Too movement, the temptation is to go, well, let's, let's you know, I, I'm a male in leadership, let's keep all our females safe and so I won't engage, you know, in any ways that might be perceived as inappropriate. And in the same way, you know, the, uh, the whole gender thing on one end of the spectrum is sort of complementarianism where, you know, men and women are very different, have different roles. Um, but then on the opposite end of that is, you know, gender is a complete construct. Uh, mm. You know, men and women are exactly the same. How do you think about that in, in terms of how do we value difference in, in gender um, and at the same time, how do we create equality creates space for both men and women to flourish in the church? Yeah. I think it's a great question. I think the other thing I'd add is culture mm. as well and culture and context, culture, context and class, even to be honest. Mm. And that, and class is more pronounced in some countries than it, than it is in others, but context, culture and class are also nuanced in that, in terms of what, um, so as an, I'm an, I'm Nigerian in heritage. Um, the part of Nigeria I'm from um, women are, you know, I mean, what the cultural mores are very different from England where I grew up. So when those two groups would describe women, they would not look the same. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And saying, well, men and women are different. I'm like, are they? Or are they in England? Or are they in a certain certain economic bracket in England? Or are they in the US? Or are they in the South in the US compared to the Northeast of the US? So I would encourage us when we're thinking of even men and women being different, to ask ourselves what are, and, and again, this isn't even a criticism. It's more as a cultural critique. At, no, as a cultural observation, I think for us as leaders, we have to be good observers when we are investing in men and women, to be frank. Mm. You know, what, yes, who they are, but what are the cultural, con what are the cultural constructs um, that are, that, that we may have spiritualized and said are God <laughs> and said, or said are men and women that are actually more Australian. Do you know what I mean? Or uh, part of the Australian story, part of the English story, part of the Nigerian story, part of the American story, because I think that will inform us to be even sharper mm. on that front. So that's one thing I would say. The other thing I would say is when there is so much at stake, you have, I think the base level we, you and I can come to is, are they made in the image of God? Are they made in the image of God? And therefore, what can we assume? because they're made in the image of God. If we can assume, and, and again, people, I'm, I'm perfectly, I'm, I'm perfectly aware that people will come to very different conclusions on that. So, uh, but so, so for the purposes of this moment, I'm going to say, if you are someone who's wanting to advocate for your women leaders and you're wanting women and like, where are all the women? They are there. Um, you just may not be looking at them in the way that's actually helpful. Um, not in a bad way, just not seeing. Um, I would say, if you're saying I'm committed to women in leadership and developing them, and they're made in the image of God, then you can assume there are gifts and abilities that need to be cultivated. 
You can assume it. You don't have to wonder it because they're made in God's image. If they're made in God's image, are the things that you, are the cultures and the constructs you're building, celebrating that, tolerating that, ignoring that? Mm. Um, Because it may be inconvenient. (laughs) It may be inconvenient to to shift and change. and, and I often say on things like that, the learning sometimes in the room, uh, would a woman feel confident about saying, this is what I'm gifted at? Or is the cultural expectation, well, as a woman, you're meant to wait until you're chosen, which is Disney. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the church, it's Disney. Um, waiting to be picked as though it's kind of, or the voice or, do you, know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or some reality TV show until you presented yourself well enough. Well, the image of God doesn't need that. I, and I and I, I guess I always come to you, Lord, you've made every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every cultural group are made in your image. That means your imprint is on them. That means there are gifts, there are abilities so that they can play their part in your great commission and be part of the renewal of all things. My job is to not get in the way <laughs> and to and to facilitate whatever you're doing to whatever they feel they're called. What in whatever context they feel they're called. So can I look and say that my leadership models are accessible? are accessible for women, for women of a certain life stage, or do, and and are they accessible for them to see themselves, to see, oh, this is something for me. This is something I could be, can they see representation in their world to see that there's a space and a place for them? Or are they, uh, if, I, if, if I'm gonna lead, I need to be all slimmer, younger, <laughs> or whatever kind of thing. If I'm gonna lead, I need to be this kind of person. I need to be married. I need to be, I need to have children. I can't have children. All all of those things that we can, there's a lot of things we just do unintentionally. Mm. Honestly, there's a lot of, that's the thing with systems. They they are designed to make certain things thrive. But if we haven't contextualized that system, we may not realize, oh, that system was built for when men did this in the 1900s and they were single. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And and meanwhile, we're, we're breaking our backs around it. And again, I'm not even saying it's bad. I'm just saying context helps. Um, and then I would, I would say, if we can assume they're made in the image of God, if we can assume that, and we don't know yet what their giftings are, but are we encouraging them? And are we aware contextually, what are the other voices they're hearing that tell them what a woman's got to be? And are we affirming that? Are we dismantling those things, which are lies, all those, all those kinds of things. I mean, there's lots of things that we have to do, but environment and access are huge, Mm. huge. So much wisdom there. And I, the reminder about, I guess, looking at your context is super important and part of the part of the purpose of this podcast is actually to imagine what these ideas look like in different contexts i lead a small simple church benj leads a one day mega church um but we we are unashamedly different but seeking to go how do we kind of get to the heart of the we have the same heart we just have different approaches so Hmm. recognizing that context is different people listening to this need to actually do the work of figuring out what these ideas look like in their context but do you have some broad kind of general principles around the roles that men and women um, can play in continuing this conversation that, like you said, it needs to happen in every generation? You know, in the yeah. next sort of generation of this conversation, how can men participate in a way that's helpful and, and mm-hmm. holistic and, and women as well? Like what, what does it actually look like at this point in time? I would say there are a couple of things that span all. And I would say... Um, it's the thing you said actually about the conversation. When was the last time you had a conversation with the women on your team about it? Where they did not feel that there'd be retribution for what they would say. 
you know what I mean? What, what's the power distance on that sort of stuff? Um, and again, what are the cultural contexts those women are from? Are they from cultures where a woman to speak in? Um, so for example, uh, let me go to, to qualify. I'm a naturally confident person, but uh, grace of God and a lot of healing, but in Nigerian con context, I am the youngest. I'm the baby of the family. You don't tell your elders what to do. You don't call your, you don't tell your elders, call your elders by your first name. It took me years. Now people might've thought I was feeling insecure about stuff. No, I'm just Nigerian. Do you know what I mean? I'm just an immigrant kid who isn't throwing away all of her values. So, mm. and I say that as context to say, when you look at even the women you're talking to, are they from cultural groups for whom you might have interpreted as, oh, she's not really interested? Or maybe I've, I've said to her, you know, if, come and tell me, come and tell But actually that seems like disrespect mm. in that in their cultural environment. So that, and I know, like you said, it, it requires us doing a little bit of extra work, but the prize is worth the work. We're about the kingdom of God and seeing it extended amongst every generation. Do the work. Just, yeah. just do it. So, so I say conversations. And if you're not sure that in, that people would feel safe to have that conversation, then is there a way that they can communicate anonymously to say what's there um, and to say how it feels? Um, how, what reading will you do ahead of time? Listening ahead of time um, are things to think through. Um, as you prayerfully consider the goals that you have, what would be what would be right? What conversations are you actually having? And what does it mean to listen? What does it mean for you to listen and hear? And it might be that you hear some really uncomfortable things where you're naturally defensive, where they're like, I've never, have you ever had a, if you believe in women preachers, do you have any women preaching in your church? I mean, that's a real regular one. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. have you, and if you believe in it, you do what you believe in. Do you know what I mean? You elevate what you celebrate. So if you really celebrate, and if you don't, that's on you. Do you know what I mean? That's you. And if you don't, then don't send them out as missionaries because that's weird. Do you know what I mean, real talk, if you don't believe women should lead, don't send them to the Africans. <laughs> don't send, don't do it because you're a hypocrite and you're racist. Mm. But it's a fact yeah. because then what, and because, and you may not intend to do that, but what you may actually be saying is we can't, you can't speak to, you don't have authority over white men or white boys, but oh my gosh, there's a great need. So you can have authority over black men and black boys. Let your, your just be consistent. Mm. Maybe uh, if you examine your landing and it's full of hypocrisy, maybe reconsider where you've landed. Well, totally. And, and, and I offer that as an invitation. If you if you're like they're doing great work, but you call them a director instead of a pastor because it's easier. And, I, and then maybe explore again, explore again with the with all the study and all. Take yourself on that journey if that's what you need to do. Um, but if you and if you do believe it, if you do believe in women speakers or whatever, whatever you believe, wherever you come to, think through your plan and think through the the, the evaluation of your plan and how you're going to. And if it's not working, then ask yourself, why is it the pipeline? Is it you didn't um, you didn't ask people? You, you, you know what I mean, you didn't you weren't proactive. Ask the women saying, look, I'm thinking of making more room. But obviously I remember talking to one of my pastors one time and he said, and he was asking about someone and he said, um, and I said, Oh, you know how it is. And he goes, honestly, no, I don't. I don't know what it's like to be a single woman in her twenties. I just don't. So I think I'm asking you to tell me, <laughs> I do not understand what this is. I think if any of us, and this is men and women are in places of privilege and power, we have to ask, how we will share that, how we will leverage our privilege and share our power and mm. divest of certain things for other people to have opportunities. Now we know that this isn't just true of men and women. This is true of generation, generational transitions, all of those sorts of things. The, um, 
cultural, ethnic, the whole thing. But in the end, most of us got opportunities because someone put our name forward. Mm. You know, maybe you're a fantastic preacher. Maybe you're an amazing, amazing teacher. And that person may not be as good as you yet. Can you risk it? Can you stand there and say, well, we're training up new voices. So we're going to give that. And we're not just going to give them that one opportunity that happens on Mother's Day. But <laughs> I mean, but I mean, Mother's Day rocks. I like I'm a fan. But do you know what I mean? Is there going to be yeah. some consistent pieces when you talk on the Bible? Do you mention women in the Bible? And I, I might say something, then maybe the women in your context say that's not the thing. This is again. Keep on going back to your context on that as well. Craig, Craig Rochelle, I think, says something like um, when you're raising leaders up, if they are 50% of what you think you could do when you first started, then give yeah. them an opportunity. And I mm, think, I think so we, we, we compare people to who, who we are now, what we can do now when we're giving people opportunity. But it's actually, where was I when I started? Um, that's that's such a better way to think about it for me. Really helpful. That is, yeah, that is brilliant. I love that. And, and it, it helps us then to think of risk and all of these things. And, and what, because here's the other thing that often women feel <laughs> when you get that gig, you, you get that speaking opportunity, you get the opportunity, that interview, that, um, that moment, you're like, if I mess this up, I don't just mess this up for me. I mess this up for every woman of all time, all time. And so therefore I cannot mess this up because I will be shutting the door for the sisterhood. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. There can, there can be a lot of pressure. So I think you also have to articulate, say, I am committed to your leadership journey and, and be explicit because this, there are lots of dreams and ideas and visions and plan and, and, and creative things that, that are in women's minds that don't come out for the fear of being seeming arrogant. Um, who do they think they are being seen as really proud or too ambitious? Um, and so part of your discipling and leadership journey will not be like looking and thinking, well, oh, that guy's really going for it, but she's really quiet. But actually working at how do you cultivate that leader so that they can articulate what God has laid on their heart? If, if you are sitting down with, say, an 18-year-old female, she's feel, she feels called to leadership within the church realm in some capacity, <laughs> what would you say to her? I would say that's fantastic. And I would say it's brilliant that you have that sense. Um, I would say, so how candid would you like me to be? Would I, I, I mean, I, I literally, are, I often say, so when you want me to be honest about it, how honest are we going here? Because to be honest, there's, the 80, there's what I'd say to an 18 year old and there's what I'd say to a 32 year old and they're not even entirely the same thing. But I, I would, for an 18 year old, I would say, that's really exciting. Where can you get, where can you get plugged in? Where can you serve? Where can you find out more? Find a place which really um, brings what, you know, what's, what will be a place where you can grow and learn and serve and all of those things. That's really important for this part of your journey. Um, I'll say there will be people who might say some weird stuff to you. Um, and you might want to find a one-liner. But um, list, find the people around you who've got your back with you. So that if, so, you know, there have been times when people ask me why I'm preaching at a place. I'm like, I didn't invite me talk to the person involved. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that ain't my job. Uh, there are, and, and so I would say, decide what you will, there may be a point when you have to, I, I'm, I'd probably say to her, there may be a point when you have to decide what battles you want to fight. Um, 
and you don't you don't have to do this for every every woman you don't have i want to release you from that burden this part of your journey is just exploring your call making mistakes having fun build, working out what it means to build a team do you know I mean having the kind of air to breathe rather than like you are called you're a woman it's going to be tough so, you know, i mean that's that sadly that stuff will come in good time mm. um on the flip side of that what would the candid conversation be with a um a pair of 30 year old church male leaders <laughs> like us <laughs> be candid um, the candid conversation is it's a mess out there there are a lot of very good gifted women who are utterly burnt out who are utterly jaded and they are tired not because they they can't sleep right but because they haven't encountered stuff you don't even know half the things that they've encountered the jokes that have been told the way they've been objectified um the challenges they faced and if you don't actively work against it you will accidentally reinforce it mm. um if, if if you don't and say you i know you look at them and you're like oh but of course they're great leverage your privilege leverage your power that's not to say you don't have a hard journey that's not to say you ain't been through stuff i'm just saying thankfully you don't have to go through this stuff as well um and and so i would say there are store i can guarantee there are already stories there are all they they will tell you stories and when they tell you stories it, that you you've got to give them permission to express their pain fully you might have to ask them a few times and say look it's fine to say it um but when they do have your game face on <laughs> like be angry at the things that um that are worth getting angry about but you might feel tempted to be defensive because you might say oh they're a good guy or they're a good person and that but they're talking about their lived experience mm. and and obviously people show up to people differently um you might hear the frustration and the disillusionment in their voice that you might believe in them more than they believe in them and it's not because they never did but it gets tough to persuade someone for 10 years that you should be in the room amplify their voices so when they have a good idea make sure it's not stolen um and and make sure people know who had who who actually had that idea and keep on referencing it so that they know you're an ally mm. and and also please give them feedback if they do something that's rubbish give them, give them feedback don't do the whole you're a fragile flower i want you to leave so i'm never gonna do you know what I mean because that's that's just sad that's sad and it's not helpful those would be the and um yeah those would be the starting points mm. oh i love it if you don't actively work against it you accidentally reinforce it so true and i think part of privilege is is a laziness that um you default to well i'll let i'll let the um the group that is you know kind of already uh experiencing the oppression sort themselves out which is yeah obviously the epitome of privilege right to be able to just lazily choose whether or not you engage so i think we we don't really have that choice i appreciate your challenge um to us so thank you so much joe um, we, we want to honor your time, so we'll, we'll land this plane in a moment. But um, before we do, just wanted to quickly ask, in the context of future church staff, we know that you have been very involved with 3DM and um, we'd just love to hear a little bit about your reflections on maybe what the principles of 3DM and that kind of as a, a sort of multiplying discipleship movement might have to inform uh, as we think about the future of the church in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah. 3DM was a wild ride um, because it came out of the church we were part of in England when we were trying to work out how do you engage? And I mean, this is the nineties, such glory days. Um, and you're like, how do you engage a place which is beyond caring about the gospel? They're not even angry anymore. It's just like, okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's, that's the response. 
And so we were, when I think of 3DM initially, I don't think of the organization it became, but the reality of us trying to engage with our friends. I was a planter at the time and we planted them on, in a, on a college campus trying to find ways to, to the gospel was always relevant, but it wasn't always accessible. And how do you get all hands on deck? Because otherwise it's like your paid people can do stuff. And then do you know what I mean? it just, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't what it was context, context had changed. Um, then over the years, and I was I was on the team, and then I chaired chaired the board for a while. Um, I think it, the ongoing challenge with the discipling movement is the world is changing fast. The world is changing fast. But what I loved about it, it is that it kept on coming back to first principles of making disciples. Making when whenever we're not sure of what to do, that thing we can be sure of: the Great Commission. Whenever we're not sure of what we're about or how our dreams work and, you know, what the pandemic has taken from us and all these things, that thing is still still stands. Make disciples. And it was Dallas Willard who said, you know, everybody should know their plan for discipleship. And is that plan working? Do you know what I mean? It, I think it's I think you just got to keep on asking those questions. And I think it what it 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 made it it kind of put tools back into everyday hands again to say, um, yes, you're a witness to what God has done in your life, but there, there is good news that is too good to keep to yourself. Um, if you give people continued access to your life, they'll see what living out Jesus in the flesh means or something. <laughs> they'll get a glimpse of it through you. And what does it look like for your community, your faith community to, to experience discipleship and then disciple others? Um, and in this moment, when so many big things, like whenever there's a shift, the landscape looks different, doesn't it? And the buildings that we once relied on aren't quite as secure and, and all of that. And it's like, well, we need lighter structures to be able to keep moving forward. Um, and disciple, I mean, I I love the fact that Jesus would, would just be still seen as so odd. Do you, know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's got this amazing gift where he can preach the thousand, but his emphasis is on 12. I mean, he can he can pull a crowd real easily and he's got the signs and wonders going and it's all happening and it's amazing. But he invests his time in 12 because the, the sustainability of all the other amazing stuff is contingent on the level of discipleship that happens with the 12. Um, and I think I think we can be we can build up, put a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of time and effort into the big things. And I love the big things. I love the big things. But. I think when everything is stripped away, we have to ask ourselves, are you making disciples? And what does that look like? Because it, because sometimes our ways of making disciples are like, well, I, they went on this course and they did this and now they're good to go. And it's like, mm, but does that look like how Jesus made disciples though? Because he seemed to have meals with them and they did life in some way and he challenged them and he didn't just kind of shove all his thoughts down their throat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they did stuff with him and there was, there was some, there was some practicality about it. And oh, and there were women there. Oh my gosh. Are we going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? And they traveled with Jesus. Oh my goodness. It, 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 it's, you know, um, I think we have to ask ourselves what, like, I, I don't think anybody has a problem with believing discipleship's important. Nobody does. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we doing it the way Jesus made disciples? Because if we're not, we can't expect the results. It's like making a carrot cake and not having carrots in it. It may be a great cake. It just ain't a carrot cake, friends. Just ain't a carrot cake. <laughs> There's so many threads that I would love to follow there, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up in, in, uh, in uh, honor of your time, but we just want to leave you with some rapid fire questions. If you, oh, if I you would oblige. Um, so yeah. one word or one sentence. Oh, I'll try. Are you ready? Okay. What do you think is the biggest danger of the church's future? 
um, that it thinks political power is actual power instead of spiritual power. Oof, amen. Uh, what is giving you hope right now about the future of the church? Mm, that's a harder question. Our Redeemer lives. What's influencing you right now in terms of voices, podcasts, books? What are you listening to? I like to, I'm listening to my kids a lot, um, just teenagers, teenage girls, and just observing how they encounter the world. I read a lot. Who am I reading? Oh, what was I reading? I'm reading a lot of fiction, actually, because <laughs> it's happier. Um, <laughs> there's um, a movement called Chasing Justice here, um, which is led by different leaders of color and talking about, they have a podcast, they have Patreon, you know what I mean, they have a number of things which I find really helpful because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an immigrant and the British experience, the black experience from Britain is very different to the black, the African-American experience. Do you know what I mean? So I'm constantly, I'm, I'm constantly listening and looking and what, what do I need to learn about Asian Americans? What do I need to learn about um, the Latino, Latino experience? What, and, and so I, I'm paying a lot more attention to justice movements um, just to hear the, what are the things I'm missing that matter? And if the, if they matter to them, but haven't mattered to me, what where do I need to to jump in? Um, I'm always looking at business stuff. I like like Harvard Business Review and Forbes Business because I'm wanting to see, like I'm watching like, so what are Amazon doing? <laughs> I mean, what are Airbnb? What are t- Because I'm curious as to what the futurists that, um, are thinking and what the shifts in culture are. Um, and looking on how, you know, what, what are the World Health Organization saying about how this is impacting people? I think this is a moment we just need to observe a lot. Mm, very good. All right. There's one book that you can have infinite copies of to give to every single person you meet on the street, every young leader. And uh, we'll get you to plug your book in a moment as well. So this is another book. Um, <laughs> what, what is this book in your world? Um, the one I give away a lot and tell everybody. To, oh, there are two actually. Oh no! How, how am I? Where am I going to go with this? I'm just going to ponder. Okay, the one I give to leaders a lot is "How Women Rise," and it's the twelve habits that hold women back. And it's by Sally Helgerson and Marshall Goldsmith, and it talks about it. Just lists it so stark. It's just so stark in terms of self sabotage, but also the context those women are in. And it actually did give some nuance to the experiences of women of different ethnicities as well, that, um, that I, I find myself telling people a lot, just, just get the book, just get the book, get the book. I want to know the other one now. The other one, thank you, um, is called, <laughs> the Deep- <laughs> I was hoping you say that. <laughs> the Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis. Uh, I'm um, loving yeah. that book. Oh gosh, it's so, so good. good. And He's a, he's a New York, um, New York based pastor, church of multiple, I think it might be in the seventies in terms of nationalities and looking at um, the reality of how spiritual discipline has often been seen as an individual pursuit, but also looking at the collective expression of spiritual formation in terms of race and other stuff like that. Very it's good. Great book. What would be your two or three sentences that you would give to someone who is starting something new, they're planting a church, they're starting a new sort of endeavor in their neighborhood they're, they're stepping into the new. What would you say to them? Um, I would. Yeah, that's fantastic. Build a team um, one step at a time. Awesome. All right, Joe. last question. How can people connect with your work? Yay. Well, um, I am on the social medias 
and it's normally at Joe Saxton, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, um, Facebook as well. Um, you can go to my website, actually. I should, <laughs> would help if I said that first. So joesaxton.com. So, and, and there are, so we have a coaching platform on there. Um, it lets you know about my podcast, Lead Stories, and, um, and all the other different things I'm getting up to or not getting up to. So joesaxton.com is a great place at landing point. And there's a newsletter you can sign up for as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. We have gotten so much out of this conversation and it, it's the kind of conversation that puts the, I think, um, the fire in me to continue to have more conversations, right? Like this is a conversation starting conversation. So thank mm. you for your time, your wisdom, your stories. So good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Joe Saxton, preach. She's good. She's very good. She's good. Hey, we, you, you are blessed to have her. We are blessed to have her on the Forming Church podcast. Um, any particular takeaways, Will? Many, many, but one that I think uh, stands out, rises to the surface, is just just the direct, you know, you know it's easy to have these conversations, particularly as, as a man, you know, uh, how do we improve things for women? How do we create greater opportunity, gender equity, gender equality? But we can kind of have that conversation without ever talking to people directly impacted. And I think Joe's point of go and talk to the women in your team or in your church and ask them what are the barriers or, or what do they need or how are things looking from their perspective, um, you just can't go past that, right? No idea I can come up with is going to be better than speaking directly to women in my context. That was my exact takeaway as well. And I, it's easy for me to look at our church plant and go, we've got, we've got three incredible female teachers. Um, half of our leadership team is made up of, of women. And I go, tick, done. You know, we've nailed it. But actually I've never s- sat down and, and spoken to any of our key leaders, any of, the, any of the women in our church and asked them what they think about that. And and what what still what still are the things that are invisible to me mm. that need to change? Well, one of the I think interesting flip sides as well in this conversation was just that you know there's this temptation to make it a women's conversation, but also like as a man in leadership with privilege, how's that going for you? Do you know like there's that conversation as well for us yeah. to be able to ask each other how are you using the privilege that you have, whether it's racial, gender, or you know other kind of able bodied. Um, I think that the whole thing around let's actually ask each other whether we're in the position of having privilege or disadvantage, how are we conscious of that? What are we doing about it? How are we fostering good conversations about it? Yeah, absolutely. It just reminds me again of the importance of different perspectives and different views. It reminds me of our, our episode last season with, with Louise around um, kids' ministry. And so often we, we build kids' ministries without even talking to the kids. Mm. Um, and it's just so easy to do. And it's so easy to be blind to that and just, you know, come up with a structure or a system or a vision and just mm. run with it without actually involving conversation. Yes, it is my hope and our hope, I'm sure, that you during this conversation had moments of uh, greater awareness. And I think with that awareness comes great responsibility. I say this to myself. I need to go and continue to do something where my awareness has been raised. So may you do what you need to do. 
Hey, it's Jamie. Join me and some friends next week for a roundtable discussion where we unpack the ideas from this episode and what they look like in different contexts.